Open your Bibles tonight to Deuteronomy chapter number 24. Deuteronomy chapter number 24 this evening. Man, what a blessing to be in the Lord's house. Amen. And uh, I, I, I was afraid this morning uh, that, that it showed I hadn't been in the pulpit in a while. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I got a picket, Jim. <laughs> I love Jim. Uh, it wouldn't be church without it. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter number 24. And I'd like to read two verses tonight in the Word of God. And then we'll go to the Lord in the Word of Prayer. And uh, I want to preach to you. Where, now, this is not a series. I've said that a hundred times. But it is uh, quite a few sermons, kind of out of the same place and kind of about the same thing. So you can call that whatever you want to call it. But uh, we're going we're gonna to pick up a thought that we've been looking a little bit out of Deuteronomy chapter number 24. Verse number 8, the Word of God says this. Take heed in the plague of leprosy, that thou observe diligently, and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you. As I commanded them, so ye shall observe to do. Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam, by the way, after that you were come forth out of Egypt. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. What a blessing to be here. Thank you for the house of God. Thank you for the people of God, Lord. Thank you for the, the local uh, body of believers. And thank you, Lord, for Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather together to hear your word preached, uh, for you to exhort and challenge us, convict us, and draw us closer unto you. Help us to be yielded unto you. Help us to make this time that is so valuable, precious to us as it is to you. And may your will be done in us. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, we have uh, observed a few thoughts out of the book of Deuteronomy over the past few weeks, and they have all centered around a theme. Uh, ten times on in the book of Deuteronomy, you will find the phrase, take heed. And we have considered that in the context of what God has been doing in the life of the children of Israel. Just by way of a brief sort of uh, reminder, uh, there are several things going on in the book of Deuteronomy, but it is fundamentally a book of the remembrance or retelling of the Old Testament law. The children of Israel, after 40 years of wandering, have found themselves back at Kadesh Barnea on the cusp of entering into the Promised Land, entering into Canaan. Moses is not going to be the one to lead them into that land because of his disobedience to the Lord. God has prohibited him from uh, seeing that land. But he has been tasked with reminding them, retelling their history for them, and uh, reading the Word of God, reading the Old Testament law. Of course, that was the Word of God that they had at the time. And reading it to them uh, and rehearsing in their ears what God has taught them. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, he goes through and he tells the story of how God had brought them out of Egypt. He reminds them that they are a purchased people, how that God had literally bought them on the slave market of Egypt in a spiritual sense, how that he had paid the price and purchased them to himself and through the blood of the Passover lamb, through the blood of the firstborn in Egypt as well as that Passover lamb, he has bought them and brought them out of the land of Egypt. You know, one of the fundamental components of your and my identity in Christ is that we are a purchased people. We don't belong to ourselves. One of the most sacrilegious things that a man can ever think and feel and believe in his life is to believe that he belongs to himself. It's alarming how much of modern day Christianity is polluted and corrupted by this concept of, well, it's my life. I belong to myself. No one can tell me what to do because I live my life the way I want to. There's not an ounce of Bible anywhere in that sentiment. If you are saved by the grace of God, you don't belong to you. You belong to the Lord. You're bought with a price. So they're a purchased people. And then after God purchased them, here's what He did. He pardoned them. <laughs> Isn't it good to know the Lord? He paid the price. And He could have held that over our heads. 
Let me tell you how gracious our God is. He didn't just purchase us. He then pardoned us. He said, you can go out free. You don't have to pay anything. You just have to trust me and I'll let you go free. And likewise, the children of Israel had been pardoned. They had been spared through the blood of that Passover lamb. The judgment that was rightly would have fallen upon them as well as the Egyptians. I want to say it again. God didn't save the uh, Jews alive because they were Jews. And God didn't kill the Egyptians because they were Egyptians. He uh, killed the Egyptians because they were wicked fallen man. The Jews were likewise. The only thing that spared them was the blood of the Passover lamb. Uh, listen, I, I, I don't, I've never understood this Calvinism mess that has a notion that God's picking out a baseball team as though there's some he looks at and says, well, I'm willing to save them. And others he looks at and says, well, I'm not willing to save them. Now, maybe part of the reason that I have trouble with that is because I know if that were true, I'd be in the camp that he wouldn't save. It's amazing to me. I've never met a Calvinist uh, that wasn't elect. Isn't that amazing? They always say, well, God's picked some for heaven, some for hell. Sorry about your situation, but thankfully God picked me for heaven. Isn't that always interesting? Never met a Calvinist that said, I'm elected to die and go to hell. They all claim they're elected uh, to go to heaven when they die. Isn't that a funny coincidence? Amen. Uh, well, there's a reason for that. Hey, listen, it's rooted in the pride of the human heart. I'll tell you, one of the reasons I've struggled with that Calvinism, one, because there ain't no Bible for it. But then two, even if there were, I'd still struggle with it because I know I'd be in that crowd that shouldn't go. Amen. I, I am going, but not because I should go, but because he's letting me go. I, I'm saved not because I earned it or deserve it or it'll ever pay off for God to have me as, a, as, a, as his child, but because of his grace, he has saved me. So we are a pardoned people. And then they were a peculiar people. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but you can imagine this uh, ragtag group of some two and a half million slaves that have left Egypt laden down with all the treasures of Egypt and being led at their head uh, by a pillar of fire and a, and a pillar of cloud and a man with a glowing face. Moses, after he received the law of God, the Bible says for the rest of his life that he had to wear a veil over his face because he had beheld the glory of God and that glory had transferred to his visage, to his likeness. What a strange people they must have been. But you know God does that. Uh, you look around at the local church and you'll find a strange assembly of people as well. You know why? Because God is reminding us that we too are supposed to be a peculiar people. We're not to be like this world that we live in. And then they were a promised people. The thing that kept them going was the promise of God that they were going to inherit Canaan. Their entire life, their entire motivation was wrapped up in this promise. And that reminds me of believers in this day that we live in. Because though we are not looking uh, for uh, the land of Canaan, we are looking for the second coming. Amen. Our life is vested in the promises of God. But using this phrase, take heed, they are commanded to not only be a purchased and pardoned and peculiar and promised people, but that they are to be a prudent people. God wants His people to be prudent. He wants us to be wise. He wants us to have, uh, to have discretion and discernment in the decisions that we make. Hey, listen, there's an epidemic of a lack of discernment in the days that we're living in. People do things and have no idea why they do them. They make choices and decisions and they have no reason for the choices and decisions that they make. A child of God shouldn't be that way. Uh, being uh, faithful to the Lord and being a Bible believer does not mean being foolish. Now, it does mean being faithful. And it means that sometimes the things you do are not going to make sense to people that don't have a spiritual perspective. But everything that we do ought to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God in discretion, discernment, and wisdom. And so on ten occasions, he tells them to take heed. As we've said, the word take heed means a few different things. It means, number one, to give attendance to a matter. 
In other words, don't ignore it. You need to make sure you do this. And when he's telling them to take heed, he's saying, don't let these things slip. Make sure that you give attendance to it. Number two, it means to give reverence to a matter. When you're telling someone to take heed, you're telling them there's something they should be cautious about. And you're invoking them to have reverence or respect for the matter that you're speaking of. And then it means to give diligence to a matter. In other words, don't just do it. Do it well. Hey, listen, things in life that are worth doing are worth doing well. Uh, we are suffering an epidemic of society of apathy, of people not caring. It's amazing. Go to a fast food. Go down to McDonald's and order a, a Whopper. Well, yeah, you should do that. But order a Big Mac. Amen. Instead, what you ought to do is go down, go down to the Burger King and, and order a Big Mac. They say you can have it your way. And you just tell them. They argue with you. Tell them, say, well, go across the street and go down to McDonald's and get me a Big Mac. Amen. The, uh, you order something and it comes to you and it, and it, it literally, I've gotten hamburgers before from a restaurant that it looked like somebody took it and wadded it up and pounded it in their fist before they wrapped it in that paper and gave it to you. People just don't care. Yeah, I'm preaching on Whoppers tonight. People just don't care. Amen. You know somebody that works down at Burger King, you send them this message. Amen. There's a general lack of, of, of care, of consideration, of conscientiousness. Uh, very often people do things, but they don't do them well. The Bible says we do all things to the glory of God. We do all things, not, not as men pleasers, but as pleasing Christ. Uh, the reason people uh, only do what they can get away with is because they're satisfied to please men. But as believers, we ought to be striving to please the Lord. And the Lord sees all things. He sees the things that we think we got away with. He sees them. And we ought to be doing it to please Him. So it means to give attendance, to give reverence, to give diligence. Now, they've already been warned about some things. They've been warned in the matter of secular relationships, in the matter of steadfastly remembering uh, what the Lord had done for them, in the matter of straying religiously, in other words, following after false gods, in sacrificing recklessly. He says you ought not worship just anywhere. You ought not give your offerings just anywhere. You ought to be in the place that God desires for you, in the place where God challenges you and works in your heart and life. And He's warned him in the matter of being snared by the residue of idolatry in the land. Very often the most dangerous moment is the moment right after victory. When we think that everything's fine, we think we can rest on our walls and let down our guard, and that's the very moment that the devil is waiting for. But now in these two short verses tonight, we have been warned in another matter. And it concerns the issue of leprosy. Now, leprosy, of course, is a disease that still exists today. It's not been eradicated. Uh, but in Bible times, it was particularly prevalent in this part of the world. It is a disease that uh, enters the body and begins to rot away, to eat away the flesh. Uh, whereas something like cancer begins from the inside and often works its way outward, leprosy could be thought of as being the polar opposite of that. It began on the outside and it would eat its way inward on a person's body. And to be a leper was to be somebody that was ostracized from society. To be a leper was often, not always, but was often a death sentence. To be a leper was to be a pariah, someone that people despised and were disgusted by. It was literally to lose your entity in society. A person that was a leper wanted nothing else. They were just a leper. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament about a man by the name of Naaman. The Bible gives us all of this man's credentials, his resume. It talks about how he was a great general. talks about how he had won many battles. talks about all these things. And it says that Naaman was a leper. You know why all those other things didn't matter? They were all overshadowed by this one truth in his life that he was a leper. You know, leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. What leprosy did to the body, sin does to the spirit and the soul, and eventually the body as well. Certain types of sins of the body. And so leprosy in the Bible is oftentimes, maybe we could say exclusively, a picture 
of sin in the human condition. And can I just say this before we even get to preaching tonight? Hey, you may be a lot of things, uh, but if you're lost and undone, what you are is a sinner. Uh, you may be a moral sinner, but you're a sinner nonetheless. You may be a religious sinner, but you're a sinner nonetheless. One of these days when you stand before God, it will not be your morality, it will not be uh, your religiosity, it will not be uh, your popularity or your power, your position, your influence. The only question is going to be, are you just in the eyes of God? Are you righteous? How are you made righteous? You're made righteous by the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, just as leprosy was a prevailing condition over all the other considerations, of a person's uh, character and identity and personality. They could be a lot of things, but they were always those after they were a leper. Likewise, a person may be a lot of things, but if they're lost and undone, what they really are is a sinner that needs to be born again. But I say also in the life of the believer, hey, we may be a lot of things, but if we don't deal with sin in our life, that leprosy, that sin of le- or that leprosy of sin will begin to loom over all of those other things. I've known people that were Christians, and I truly believe, I mean, only they and God know, but I truly believe that they were born again, that they knew the Lord, that they had been saved, but they'd allowed sin in their life. And when you looked at their life, you didn't see Christ, you saw their sin. The sin had so consumed them and taken over their life. It had dominated everything else such that when you'd look at them, you didn't see Christ, and often you didn't even see them anymore. All you saw was their sin. Very often, your family may have been touched by it. Many of us know folks that have whose family's been touched by addiction, uh, by some loved one that you care about, that your heart dwells with, and they allow drugs or alcohol or some other addiction uh, to take over their life. And, and pretty soon as you watch them, you start to feel like you don't see them anymore. You just see the addiction. Well, you know, in a spiritual sense, sin, I believe that, uh, that drugs and alcohol, I believe they are sin. But I would say this of any sin, that if it's left unchecked in our life, it'll do the exact same thing. Pretty soon you'll look at that person. You won't recognize them anymore. You'll just see that sin that has dominated their life. Here in our text, what he talks to them about is not just that leprosy exists, not just it's a problem, but notice carefully how he says it in verse 8. Take heed in the plague of leprosy that thou observe diligently and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you as I commanded them, so ye shall observe to do. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. We are to take heed in the matter of sin's removal. We find some very illuminating truths about sin when we examine the circumstances of leprosy. And again, it's not to suggest that a man that was a leper must have been a great sinner, nor is it to suggest that a person uh, who was a sinner was not so because they did not have leprosy, but it is to say that there is a figurative, there is a metaphor, an illustrative uh, relationship going on here between the disease of leprosy and the matter of sin. And just as God gave prescription in the Old Testament of how to deal with this matter of leprosy, so likewise, you know, God's told us how we can deal with sin. I understand that in this uh, frail form, I understand in this sin-cursed body, we're always going to contend with sin. But I'm glad that, listen, we can contend with sin. I'm glad, listen, that we don't just have to surrender. We can strive for God to get glory out of our life. I'm glad we can have victory as we yield the Lord. And so we find in these two verses, two, we could say, dueling truths that are given here. The first is in verse 8, and it is a verse that contains a biblical exhortation. He points them back to what he had already told them in the law about leprosy. The second is a verse, verse 9, that deals with a historical example 
of this problem. It says, remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam by the way, after that you were come forth out of Egypt. So here's what God does. He gives a, a truth and then a proof text. He points them to what God's Word says, then He points them back in their history to what happened with Miriam, the sister of Moses, and says you need to take careful heed and learn the lessons of it. So what can we learn about sin, the removal of it, what God has given us, uh, the resources and tools available for us from this passage? Well, if you're really going to understand leprosy, you're going to have to go to the place that God is pointing to here in our text. He says, remember the things that I've told you, the things that I commanded the priests. And you'll find those ordinances in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is probably one of the most underread and underrated books of the entire Word of God. Turn with me to chapter 13 of the book of Leviticus. Would you do that? Leprosy is dealt with in two chapters in the book of Leviticus. Chapter number 13 and a little portion of chapter 14 deal with the process for uh, investigating, diagnosing, and dealing with leprosy in a person. And then most of chapter 14 deals with the ceremonial sacrifices that were to be given when God had made a person clean. Both of these things tell us and teach us something about what sin is and does in our life. In Leviticus chapter 13, look with me at verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, when a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab, or a bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh, and when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of leprosy. And the priest shall look on him, and pronounce him unclean. Now, there's a lot more contained in chapter 13, and if you have a real fascination with leprosy or a love for the Word of God, I encourage you to read it later. But those four verses suffice to illustrate to us some important truths about this matter of leprosy and likewise about the matter of sin. Let me make a few statements here. We see the truth about the risk of leprosy. Number one, we notice that leprosy must be addressed. Verse number two says this, when a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab or bright spot and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he probably ought to put a little ointment on it and just go to bed. Uh, probably ought to take two Advil and, and, and sit back. You know, maybe pour a little witch hazel on it. It'll probably be fine. Uh, maybe get some of that triple antibiotic ointment and just bind it up a little bit. and It'll usually clear up in a few days. It's not what your Bible says. No, what does it say? It says, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest or unto one of his sons the priest. Leprosy was a very transmissible disease. It was a disease that was deadly. It was a, de a disease that would spread rapidly. And so God warns him, says, if you ever suspect that you've got leprosy, then you need to make a beeline. You need to, I mean, to cut a rug to get down to the priest as quick as you can, get diagnosed as early as you can, because you cannot let that leprosy go. Now, reminding ourselves that leprosy is given as a metaphor, as a picture often in the Word of God, as a type of sin. Man, what does that teach us about sin? I'll tell you what it teaches us, that sin must be addressed in our life. Too often we want to try that uh, antibiotic ointment on our sin. We want to try to just ignore it. We want to try to paper over it. We want to try to moderate it and compromise with it. The Word of God is abundantly clear that sin, when it is finished, you know what it does? Just like leprosy, it bringeth forth death. And we better not mess around with it. 
How often does our flesh deceive us into believing that our sin, being somehow proprietary and unique from everybody else's awful sin, our sin, that's just sort of a little bad, will not harm us. That's a lie straight from the hell, depths of hell and straight from our flesh. The fact is your sin will destroy you just like my sin will destroy me. So sin must be addressed in our life. Notice verse number 3. The Bible says this, And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of the flesh. Can I give you a little short preview of the rest of the chapter? It sort of goes this way. Well, if you look on that uh, and you see that there's leprosy, you shut him up for seven days. At the end of seven days, you come back and you look at it again. If it looks like this, then he's clean. If it looks like that, then you shut him up for another seven days and then come back later and look at it again. If this has changed, then he's clean. If it's not, then he's unclean. You need to shut him up for another seven days. And on and on it goes. God goes into great graphic detail about all of the various symptomatic elements of what leprosy could look at, look like. But the thing that is repeated over and over and over again is that sin must be brought to the priest. The priest must look at it, must watch it, must observe it. If there's anything changing, if there's anything developing, then something must be done about it. You know what it reminds me of? Listen, uh, leprosy must be addressed. Sin must be addressed in our life. But also leprosy must be attended. And sin must be attended in our life. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Uh, here was God's invocation to the priest. If somebody has leprosy, you better watch them. Because if it is leprosy, it don't get better. It only gets worse. Can I tell you, listen, we likewise need to be vigilant in our life about the matter of sin. Uh, we can't turn our back on our sin. We can't pretend as though our sin is not there. And we need to be ever vigilant in our life because sin is always looking for an opportunity to creep in and to take root. In our life. Hey, listen, all the devil needs is sleeping people. That's all he needs. Uh, he doesn't need great sinners. He doesn't need great infidels. He doesn't need people to champion atheistic causes and shake their fists at God and lead millions astray. You know what he needs? He needs a sleeping church. He needs believers to just quit paying attention uh, to what's going on in their spiritual life. If he can get that, then he's got the victory. And so in our life, listen, sin has to be watched out for. There's a reason the Bible tells us to be sober and to be vigilant for our adversary. The devil is a roaring lion, walked about seeking whom he may devour. Hey, listen, uh, we better be looking for him because he's looking for us. We better be on the watch because he's looking for us. So leprosy must be attended. And then at the end of verse number 3, it says something interesting. It says, when the hair and the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is a plague of leprosy. The priest shall look on him and pronounce him unclean. Here's God's command. He doesn't tell him to take uh, temperature. He doesn't tell him to uh, pass some kind of test. He says this, if it's leprosy and you look at it, you'll be able to see it because sooner or later, leprosy will appear. It won't stay under the surface forever. It's going to make a beeline to the outer extremities. It's part of the reason with lepers that very often they'll lose their fingers, their, their nose, their toes first, their appendages. It always is striving to move outward and to expose itself. Can I tell you, hey, listen, likewise, sin is something that ain't going to stay hidden in your life forever. You might, you might hide it for a little while. You might hide it for some folks. But sooner or later, it's going to make an appearance. Sooner or later, it's going to show. And a person who is a leper, they might be able to conceal it for a little while. They might be able to cover up that diseased part of their body. They might be able to doctor up and try to cover the smell of it. They might be able to try to, through force of will and discipline, uh, correct a gate that has gone astray or, or hold an arm a certain way where people wouldn't notice. But sooner or later, because the disease advances, it was going to show up. Let me tell you something about sin. Sooner or later, the disease advances. You might keep it hidden for a little while, but sooner or later, 
it's going to show up. Then look over in chapter 14. Now, most of chapter 14 deals with the sacrifices that were to be given when a man was pronounced clean of leprosy. Uh, one of the things you'll find is that there's not really any instructions for how to cure leprosy in the Bible because the idea was only God could cure leprosy. Uh, there were things they could do to mitigate its spread. There were things that they could do to try to, to try to safeguard themselves and their family. But at the end of the day, man, if God didn't heal them, it wasn't going to change. Can I tell you this? Hey, we might do things to mitigate the spread of sin best as we can, but only God can, can cure us of it. Only God can deal with it. So most of chapter 14 deals with the sacrifices that are given when a man's pronounced clean. And we'll look at those here in a moment. But there is one portion of chapter 14 that deals with sort of diagnosing the matter of leprosy. But it doesn't deal with diagnosing leprosy in a person's body, but rather in a person's abode. Look what it says in verse number 33. The Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When you be come into the land of Canaan, which I give to you for a possession, and I put the plague of leprosy in a house of the land of your possession. Now we're stopping right there. You can take the time to read the rest of the verses. God gives some instructions and finishes his thought there. But there's one thing I want to notice, and that's this. Leprosy wasn't only in a person. It could also be in a place. It could be in a house. It could infect an abode in such a way that it wouldn't just affect that one person, but anyone in the home could be infected by leprosy. You know, it's a reminder that sin, listen, some things are sins under ourselves, and, and we all sin against our own body, uh, but, uh, but our sin does not affect only us. It affects those around us as well. Hey, listen, been, been a lot of little ones. Maybe you were one of them one day that had to grow up in a drunkard's home or in an addict's home and, and you had to grow up and, and you felt firsthand how that somebody else's sin would affect your body and your life. Uh, you might have uh, been hurt by somebody and, or abused by somebody and, and you know that a person's sin, it doesn't just stay confined to their own experience. I could look back at people throughout the years, and it doesn't edify, so I don't do it very often, but I could name person after person after person who said to me, Preacher, it's my life. I live it the way I want. Sometimes they said it with the word. Sometimes they said it with the walk. Sometimes they just up and got up and left the house of God, left the, the will of God, left the people of God, and said, nobody's going to tell me, and nobody's going to preach that way with me, and I'm going to live my life, and nobody's going to tell me. They thought it was their life. It wasn't just their life. It was their kid's life. It was their spouse's life. It was their sibling's life. It was their parents' life. They got up and walked out, and they didn't wreck just their life. They wrecked a whole bunch of people. They walked out, and you know, I'll tell you what they did. They didn't just wreck their own heart. They wrecked their own home as well. So leprosy is a dangerous thing. must be addressed and must be attended. It will appear, and there can be leprosy in your abode as well. But then we also see in chapter 14, so we've seen some truths about the risk of leprosy. But in chapter 14, we have the technique for the removal of leprosy. And, I, and when I say that, I probably ought to clarify a little more. What he's dealing with is when God had cleansed a man, sacrifices were to be given as a result of that. But what it reminds us of is the process whereby God cleanses us of sin in our life. Now, we're not going to read all of it. Time wouldn't permit us to. But in verse number 1, God begins to detail what the Bible calls the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. And how that he gives a sacrifice and what kind of sacrifice and what's involved in it. And in that, as we said, there is a vivid picture of what Christ has done for us and what we do when we deal with sin in our life. And I just want you to notice some of the things that are present there. Look with me in verse 1. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, 
and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper, then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds, alive and clean, and cedar wood, and scarlet, and hyssop. Let's just pause there and say, number one, if sin's going to be dealt with in our life, just as when leprosy was dealt with in their life, there's going to have to be a priest. The Bible says he'd have to be brought to the priest. Now, can I tell you, it's not going to be a human priest, not human like you and I are, are human. It's not going to be a priest that sits in a little phone booth somewhere, listens to everybody's dark, nefarious sins, and gets addicted to that kind of gossip and rot. Uh, it's not going to be a priest that presides over some sort of, uh, of inflated, extra-biblical, anti-God ceremony that ain't got no source in Scripture whatsoever. But it's going to be a high priest, one who's altogether lovely, one who's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We're going to do a little teaching out of the epistles of John over the next few weeks. And one of my favorite portions is in 1 John chapter 2 when he says, Listen, hey, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. But he knew us. <laughs> and so he went on to say, And if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. In other words, we've got to go to our high priest, Jesus the Son of God. Hey, you ain't going to deal with sin without having to deal with Jesus. You listening? You ain't going to deal with sin without having to deal with Jesus. If you want your sin dealt, you're going to have to bring it to the Lord. You're going to have to talk to God about it. You're not going to ignore it and it can go away. You're not going to have somebody pray for you and it go away. You yourself are going to have to deal with the Lord if you want your sin dealt with. So there is a priest. But then I would say number two, there is a price. The Bible says in verse number four, Then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean, and cedar wood, and scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. So in other words, something had to die because of the sin, or because of the leprosy that had been healed. And like every sacrifice in the Old Testament, sin is sort of indicted in it as well. And I would say in your life and mine, Hey, listen, because of our sin, something had to die. It's a beautiful picture here. And by the way, let me just unpack this. This isn't really in the vein of what I'm preaching, but uh, some of these details are too rich to just overlook. You say, preacher, what does it mean when it says the priest shall command uh, that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water? What does that mean? Well, can I remind you that turtle doves, which is what these are uh, in the Bible, are a picture of the Holy Ghost. They're a picture of the Spirit. In the New Testament, whenever Christ was baptized, uh, the Spirit of God in the likeness of a dove, of a turtle dove, descended and rested upon Him. Now, there's two doves that are listed here. One's killed and one's spared and is released into the open field. What's that a picture of? Well, just like the scapegoat in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, whenever they would take two goats, one of them they'd pronounce the sins over the head of and the other they would slay and the one they'd pronounce the uh, sins over the head of they would take out into the wilderness and release. And it was a picture of the carrying of the sins of the nation away. What do we have in our text here? Well, one's killed, one's set free. Uh, the one that is set free is a picture of the Spirit of God who is the intercessor for us, who is the one that arbitrates between us and the Son of God the condition of our sins. We take our burdens unto Him uh, and He takes and makes them fit for the ears of God. And that's likewise when we're confessing our sin. You say, preacher, but who's the bird that gets killed? That's a picture of us. That's a picture of, of our spirit. That's a picture of us. We're killed in an earthen vessel over running water. What does that have to do with? Well, uh, in the New Testament, Peter said we have this treasure. Paul said we have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's talking about because the infirmity of our flesh that we have to mortify self if we're going to have sin dealt with in our life. You know, the Bible says it's killed over running water. 
Isn't that interesting? Do you know that water is used in two ways in your Bible? When it's water that you drink, it's a picture of the Spirit of God. But when it's water that washes, it's a picture of the Word of God. They killed this thing over this running water uh, because uh, the priest could wash it and keep the meat clean and keep the process clean. And it's a picture. You say, preacher, how do I deal with sin in my life? Well, you're going to have to mortify self. Uh, You're going to have to recognize your infirmity. You're going to have to take the Word of God and let it wash your heart and life. And you're going to have to go to the Lord and ask His forgiveness and then trust Him faith for the Lord to deal with those sins and carry them off into a far off land. But we see that in this passage, what is there? There's a price that has to be paid. What's that price? That price was paid for Christ at Calvary. A sacrifice had to be made. But then we've already preached. I'm not going to dwell on it. But there is a purging that must take place. It says in verse 6, as for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and shall dip them and the living water in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. He shall sprinkle upon him that is to be cleansed from the leprosy seven times, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose into the open field. That bird pictured the carrying away of that leprosy, just as the Spirit of God carries away the guilt and shame of our sin. Hey, you know the Bible tells us uh, that uh, in the New Testament, one of the only times the word sprinkle is used regarding the spiritual condition of the believer. It says that our conscience has been uh, sprinkled and uh, has been purged from dead works uh, to serve the living God. In other words, that's the purging of our guilt and our shame so that we can go on and serve the Lord. This purging has to take place. Can I just say this? If God's done with your sin, why are you hanging on to it? If He's carried it away, won't you let it go? If God is past it, then why aren't we past it? There has to be a purging that takes place. Then verse number 8, the Bible says this, He that is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair. That's Old Testament. Don't you worry about that. Wash himself. <laughs> Corey liked that. Wash himself in water that he may be clean. And after that he shall come into the camp and shall tarry abroad out of his tent seven days. But it shall be on the seventh day that he shall shave all his hair off his head and his beard, his eyebrows, even all his hair he shall shave off, and he shall wash his clothes. Also he shall wash his flesh in water, and he shall be clean. Say, preacher, what's going on here? Well, there's a purifying that has to be taking place. Say, what do you mean? Well, uh, even though he might be cleansed of that leprosy, it could be dwelling on his hair, it could be dwelling on his clothes, it could be dwelling on his person, even though he's been healed of it, and he could carry it to other people. And so they were required to sanitize, to to sanctify, to purify themselves so that they didn't drag any of that old nasty mess into the camp and infect anyone else. It's amazing the things people will be involved in and call liberty. Things that ain't no Christian got any business being involved in. People say, well, I got liberty, preacher. I got liberty. I do too. Uh, They're about a size 48 and I wear them every Wednesday night. Amen? Y'all don't know why. Anyway, they're key overalls, not liberty overalls. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. People say, I got liberty, preacher. I got liberty. Hey, uh, use not your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but by love serve one another. You got, that, you got liberty. That liberty is so great, it ought to be great enough to cause us to live circumspect in front of other people. Can I say this? It ain't liberty if it's a stumbling block to somebody else. It's license at that point. And so they, they say, well, preacher, I'm clean. I got liberty. Well, you got liberty when you wash all that mess off and don't go dragging other people through it as well. You got liberty about it. That's wonderful. It might be there's a brother that in your eyes would be weaker than you. You ought to pity him and recognize that you shouldn't throw a stumbling block before him by dragging sin in front of him that could trip them up in their life as well. And I don't even buy this whole thing of liberty. Listen, it's either right or it's wrong. Amen. 
It's either right or it's wrong. It ain't right for me and wrong for you and right for you and wrong for me. It's either right or it's wrong. But people will say, well, preacher, I got liberty about that matter. Well, if you do, you ought to be mindful not be a stumbling block to anyone else. You say, well, preacher, God's delivered me from those things. You're so spiritual. That's wonderful. I'm proud for you. But you ought to recognize that if you take some of that stuff that you may be calling liberty, but is uh, loose and lewd nonetheless, and you drag that in front of other believers, you may make a stumbling block for them. When God deals with you about that sin, you better get it out of your life and get it completely out of your life. Because if you're not careful, it will follow you back into camp. So there's a purifying. Then look at verse number 10. The Bible says this, And on the eighth day, and I want you to notice a theme here, He shall take two he lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, and three-tenth deals of fine flour for a meat offering. Underscore that in your mind. For a meat offering mingled with oil and one log of oil. I ain't never seen an oil log, but apparently they're biblical. Amen? And the priest that maketh him clean shall present the man that is to be made clean and those things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So it said, verse 10, a meat offering. Verse 12, and the priest shall take one he lamb and offer him for a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. Very unusual situation here. This priest is literally giving in one sacrifice four different sacrifices. In the Old Testament, there was a basic framework of five sacrifices. The meat offering, the trespass offering, the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering. And they represented different aspects of the sacrificial life of Jesus Christ. His sufficiency and fullness for us in the presence of God. Four of those are mentioned here in our text. Only the peace offering is not mentioned because the peace offering dealt exclusively with the concept of worship of being whole and fit to enter in unto God. But these other sacrifices are mentioned, and the peace offering is even hinted at when it speaks of the wave offering. You say, preacher, what does all that signify? Well, it signifies this, that for the leper, there was enough sacrifice to deal with his problem. Uh, when he came and offered a sacrifice, there was a way, a path, I would say this, a provision that was made for him to be made whole before God. In other words, it was all sufficient. Can I tell you this? Jesus Christ is all sufficient. Hey, listen, you say, preacher, you don't know the sin I've been involved with. No, but I know the Savior, and I know He's enough. <laughs> I know that He's righteous. I know that He, uh, listen, His grace abounds. You say, but preacher, my sin is so abundant. Yes, but His grace abounds. There is provision that's been made. You can get victory and get forgiveness. So there's a provision. But then look down at verse 14. The Bible says this, The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, and upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. That's interesting. Why is it that he would do that? Well, all these things have some uh, symbolism here, but it, it, it denotes the idea of, of his hearing, his listening, his ear being sanctified, uh, of his hands, his work, uh, and of his feet, of his walk. And there are also things that when a person saw that, they could see that that sacrificial work had been accomplished because they'd see it on his thumb. And in that day, wearing sandals, they'd see it on his toe and they'd see it on his ear. And it was an outward testimony that he, as a newly healed leper, had given those sacrifices. But can I just point this out? There had to be a personal application take place. 
He couldn't just call up and, and I don't know, I don't know what the equivalent of, of Old Testament sacrificial grub hub would be. Somebody Google that for me. But he couldn't phone it in, is my point. He couldn't call in and say, hey, listen, I'd like to order up one of those. I'm a leper. Yeah, a leper. Yeah, not a leopard, a leper. And I have been cleansed. And if you can, I want uh, number four on the menu sacrificially. Would you please offer that for me? And uh, just send me an e-receipt and that's fine. We'll call it a day. Couldn't do it. He had to show up himself personally, give this sacrifice, and then that blood had to be applied personally to his body. There wasn't no phoning it in. There wasn't no asking anyone else to go in your stead or on your behalf. He himself had to go. And it's a reminder in our sin, hey, there has to be a personal application. We directly have to deal with our sin with the Lord. An application, I would say, number one of the blood. He would take that blood and apply it personally. Listen, you want forgiveness of your sin, you're going to have to ask God directly to forgive you. Uh, you can't say, well, preacher, I've got folks praying for me. That's wonderful. They can pray for you, but they can't pray for you. You're going to have to pray. Not only of the blood, but notice what the Bible says. It says in verse 15, the priest shall take some of the log of oil, pour it into the palm of his own left hand, and the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and shall sprinkle the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And of the rest of the oil that is in his hand shall the priest put upon the tip of the right ear of him that is to be cleansed, upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot, upon the blood of the trespass offering. And the remnant of the oil that is in the priest's hands he shall pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed, and the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. Not only of the blood, but of the oil as well. You say, preacher, what's that oil signifying? It's signifying the work of the Spirit of God. Uh, listen, whenever David had sinned, uh, Bathsheba in Psalms 51, he speaks to the Lord. He says, I have sinned against thee and thee only have I sinned. He talks about how that God had broken his bones, how that God had broken his heart and broken his spirit. He is coming to God direct. Now, he's the king over Israel. Uh, he had he a had 100,000 men that would have gladly prayed that prayer for him, but none of them could do it. He had to deal directly with the Lord. He had to pray. He had to ask God's forgiveness. Saying there's no shortcut out of this thing. You've sinned. You've messed up. You're going to have to go to the Lord about it. The preacher can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it. Your spouse can't do it. Your, your co-workers, your friends. You yourself are going to have to deal with this matter. There was a personal application. Then thank God. Look at verse 19. The Bible says the priest shall offer the sin offering and make an atonement for him that is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. Now isn't this interesting? Here he is, and he's been pronounced clean, but he's not been made clean yet. Uh, he's been cleansed of his leprosy, but he is still ceremonially unclean. Why was that? Well, until the atonement was made, uh, he might have been purified, but he still wasn't pardoned. The Bible says in verse 20, The priest shall offer the burnt offering and the meat offering upon the altar. The priest shall make an atonement for him, and he shall be clean. I'm glad to report to you there's a pardon that takes place. Hey, listen, if we confess our sins, not if we get somebody to confess our sins, not if we ask somebody else to confess our sin. Not if we go down and ask the priest uh, down at the Catholic diocese to, to is that how it's spelled? Diode, diode, that's what it is. If we, no, diode, anyway. Uh, not if we go ask him to do it. <laughs> Some of y'all don't know what just happened. We ourselves, no one else, if we confess our sins, we've got good news to report. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have this first verse, a biblical exhortation. But what about verse 9? The Bible says this, Remember 
what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam by the way, after that you were come forth out of Egypt. What an interesting verse that is. I mean, he's already told them, go do what I say. That ought to be enough. But he reminds them of a story from the life of Moses' sister that ought to serve as a cautionary tale for them. Turn over to Numbers chapter 12. I just got a few thoughts here. Numbers chapter number, you don't believe that. I, I asked Preacher McBride to leave his watch here so I could be on Brian McBride time, but he's selfish and took it with him, amen? And then mine broke, so. <laughs> Look at verse number one. The Bible says this. Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman, and they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses, unto Aaron, and unto Miriam, Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Now we'll look at a few verses here in a moment. Here we find a historical example of what happens when a person is stricken with leprosy. I'd want you to notice that in Miriam's case, and that's the case that God points to. I'm not saying it was this way in every case, but God says, pay attention to Miriam. You know what we find? We find that the outer corruption came as a product of the inward corruption. The outward was just the manifestation of something that was already going on in her heart. Can I tell you, the outward sin is but a manifestation of what's going on inwardly. And what do we learn about this thing of sin? God's one that points it out. What does He want us to learn? Well, I'd say there's a few things. One, I want you to notice the deceit of sin. The Bible says in verse number one why they spoke against Him. Because He married an Ethiopian woman. That's why. They didn't agree with this. She was a Gentile and not a Jew. And, and they felt like this was inappropriate. But they did not go to Moses and say, Moses, we have cause with you. We believe you've done wrong. They didn't have the courage to do it. So instead, notice what they did. They said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Can I tell you something? We have all kinds of excuses as to why we commit sin. But can I tell you why we really commit sin? We can say, Oh, well, preacher, I was so grieved. That's not why you sin. Oh, preacher, I was just, I just, I, I couldn't help it. I just got carried away. No. You didn't get carried away. Your own two legs carry you. So you didn't get carried away. Oh, preacher, you don't understand. People made me so mad. No, that's not why you did it. Can I tell you why you sinned? Because you wanted to. Because you wanted to. Now, you say, but preacher, you don't know how bad I wanted to. Now, that may be true. But it doesn't change the reason why you did it. Ain't nobody in this world ever been made to sin. Oh, I'll just say it again. I already ate three little Debbie cakes over there. I ain't worried about it. You folks are the ones ought to be worried about it. Who knows who's over there eating them little Debbie cakes right now? You better let me get my preaching done so there's some left. That's right. That's right. Jerry knows. So I, 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 I'm just, I'm telling you, ain't nobody ever been made to sin. 
So, but preacher, there's been times that folks have been led in this, they've been forced. Hey, listen, if it was something done against their will, God reckons it not sin. If it's something that was done by their will, then it most certainly is reckoned sin. I'm saying this, God's a just God. And ain't nobody ever committed sin that didn't want to commit sin. Sin will deceive you into believing that you have a just reason. I've never known anyone to commit a sin that they didn't have a good excuse for, at least good enough for the moment. But that's how sin works. It will come along and deceive you into believing that somehow there is an excuse. You know the real reason they did this? They were mad at Moses and they wanted to. They were jealous over the fact that he had done this and they wanted to. We see the deceit of sin. Notice verse number 3. The Bible says this. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now God goes on to describe some things about Moses and how that Moses is his servant, calls him, uh, in verse number 7, my servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, in the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. You know, Moses was a picture in the Old Testament of the lovely Son of God. The Bible tells us that a prophet like unto Moses will God raise up. In the book of Acts, you know what we're told? We're told that that prophet was the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's something interesting to me. They thought they was attacking Moses, but they was really attacking him who stood in the stead of Jesus Christ. You know, I wonder how many times all we think we're doing is just something to our benefit, but really what we're doing is rearing back and smiting the very face of God. I know you and I don't look at it that way, but it doesn't change the very nature and reality of what it is. God says, hey, you speak against Moses, you're speaking against my servant. They thought, well, we're just speaking against our brother. But he wasn't their brother anymore. Now he was God's servant. And I would say this to you tonight. We may have all the excuses as to why our sin is okay. But at the end of the day, what we're doing is we are, we are, we are disgracing and we are hurting and we are shaming the Son of God. I see the deviousness of sin. I see the damage of sin. Verse number 9, The anger of the Lord was kindled against him and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous. White as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was left. A lot we could say, but not a lot I'm going to say. Because of her sin and disobedience, her body began to corrupt and waste away. Now, that's not to suggest that, that physical infirmity is the product of a committed volitional sin in a person's life. Hey, there, there's some things that are just the product of the presence of sin in creation. But I am saying this. The moment that this happened in her life, it began a corrupting work upon her. Can I tell you the great deceit, the great lie the devil tells you, that you ain't really caught till you get caught. That until your sin catches up with you, it's not really hurt you. And I tell you, the moment you get involved with it, it started hurting you. Before you ever reach the place of critical mass, before it ever spirals everything out of control, your sin has already started to eat away at you. I see the damage of sin. Then, I, man, I'm glad for this. Look at verse 11. Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Boy, this is a fascinating verse, by the way. He says, let her not be as one dead of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. Moses cried unto the Lord saying, heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. Here's the high priest. Hey, you remember, Charlie, you remember this in the Old Testament. Uh, the Bible tells us that, uh, the, that uh, Levi gave tithes in, through the person of Abraham unto Melchizedek. So much so that the priesthood of Melchizedek then superseded the priesthood of the Levites. Isn't that what the book of Hebrews teaches us? 
Here we have the high priest asking Moses to be his intercessor. (laughs) Could it be there's an intercession above what human priests could afford and provide for us? Aaron reaches a place he can't pray for himself. Why? By reason of his infirmity. But he goes to one that's not infirm and says, I need you to intercede for me. Hey, can I tell you this? Don't matter how righteous or religious a man may look, we all need Jesus. No matter who you are. I'm glad to say this. We see the deliverance from sin. There's a place we can go. There's a person we can go to when sin gets in our life. You say, preacher, what do we have to do? All we have to do is turn to Him and say, Alas, my Lord, I beseech Thee, lay not the sin upon us where we have done foolishly and wherein we have sinned. There is an advocate with the Father. There is a high priest. But notice this. The story doesn't end there. Verse 14. And, and, and you know, the Bible even emphasizes this, by the way, back in, in uh, chapter number 24 of the book of Deuteronomy. It, it even points this out. It says, Remember what the Lord thy God did unto Miriam by the way after that you were come forth out of Egypt. When it says by the way, it doesn't mean in addition to, but it means on the way out of Egypt. Beside that way, something happened. Look what it says in verse number 14. The Lord said unto Moses, If a father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. You know what I see here? I see the delay of leprosy, the delay of our sin. God forgave her. God cleansed her. But it didn't get those seven days back. I'm not trying to overburden or discourage anyone. But it, it, listen, if if this is your experience, you won't take it hard anyway. You'll want youngsters to be warned. But can I tell you, there's some things you don't get back. God will forgive you, but you don't get those days back. There's people in this room, they'd give anything if they had the knees that they had when they were 16 to go out and serve the Lord, work for the Lord. And they'd do it today if them knees don't do what they did when they were 16. People that wish they had the, the mind to be able to memorize Scripture and soak it up like a sponge and, and, and memorize great portions of the Word of God. And they'd do it today and they've asked God to help them and they've prayed and asked forgiveness for those wasted years, but it didn't give their mind back to them. The sharpness, the strength of Hey, listen, there's a delay that sin causes. But God will forgive me. That's true, but there's some things you ain't going to get back. And it's not because God's mean. It's not because it's unfair. It's because sin is destructive. It's damaging. I'd say this, when we read this, there's maybe we can sum it up this way. Sin in our life has to be dealt with. If we don't, it'll destroy us. But I'm thankful to report to you, there's a person who can deal with it. Well, take it to him. He'll address it. He'll deal with it. But we're going to have to take it to him. We cannot ignore it, and we cannot subcontract it out to some other person. We ourselves are going to have to deal with that sin, and you better do it, because if you don't, there's some things it'll touch and destroy and corrupt and warp and, and, and damage that you don't get back. So don't treat sin lightly. Take heed in the matter of sin's removal. Let's bow together this evening. A musician's going to come, play at the piano. Come on, Melissa, the altar's open. You don't have to wait for a note to be played. Meet God in this altar. Go ahead and just meet him now. Don't put it off. You remember what Abraham taught us this morning? He got up early in the morning because he would have lost his nerve by lunchtime. Don't give it the next few moments. Go ahead and meet God in this altar. Whatever God dealt with you about, you deal with him about. Let him have his will and way. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in his name.